I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. 
For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts, the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I remember the very first wedding I ever did on my own. Uh, it was, I, I knew no one in Kingstown at this point in time. It was Aldersgate that had a, somebody come to them. It was like this couple, they were in the 19 years old and they were wanting to get married. And Aldersgate often, because they're a large church, has couples come to them saying they want to get married. They have no idea who these couples are. And so they try to divvy them out to the very pastoral staff of, are you willing to do a wedding for somebody you've never met before? And so at this point in time, I said yes. So I met with this family, um, two, like a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old. Um, I was young when I got married, but that's even younger than I was when I got married. And from day one, there was so much anxiety around this wedding. Uh, first of all, none of their bridal party had ever, pretty most of them had never attended a wedding in their life, uh, never been a part of a bridal party, knew no idea how to what, what happens here, had crazy unrealistic expectations. They had very little money, too, very little money, and they're like, you know, operating like Sonny and Cher, we're gonna pay for this life of love. Like, total unrealistic, like, expectations of what life is gonna be like um, when they get into, into marriage, um, and everybody's just so anxious, so anxious. And so I felt that, and I'm anxious too, because it's my first wedding, like I, I wanted the words to be right. I didn't want it to be mechanical. Uh, and so I'm studying the words so closely. And I remember the, the rehearsal, it was like everybody had taken a really deep breath in and nobody had let a breath out. And that, you know that feeling when every single person in the room is like, <laughs> like that, that's what it felt like, the whole rehearsal. And nobody breathed out. And I thought when I got done with it, Okay, this is it's good. Okay, we like it. It, it, it. And then we got to the wedding day, and everybody walks down the aisle, and right about the moment the groom's there and the bride is is meeting the groom, uh, it's like they couldn't hold the breath any longer, and every single person across the front exhaled in this massive explosion of crying right at the moment that I'm supposed to say these words for the very first time that I've never led this wedding before. And so uh, like a couple people have been recently married by me. So there's like this prayer at the beginning, let us pray. Everybody's standing here. Everybody is sobbing. They're passing like handkerchiefs down, down the people. And of course their bridal parties are like 12 people deep on either side because that's what you do when you're 19. You haven't figured out yet who your friends are, you know, not yet. Um, and, and, and I know they're not listening to me and I finished the prayer and for some reason what came to mind was like gym class in, uh, in high school where like they tell you you've got to run a mile uh, and like, like 
I'm, you can tell I'm not good at that, like that's not my thing. And, uh, and then while they're telling you to run this mile and make this particular time, the gym teacher always yelling like, breathe, remember to breathe, remember to breathe. And you're like, how do I run and breathe at the same? I don't even know how you're supposed to do that. And, and so we finished the prayer and I have this image of, of how do you like breathe, remember to breathe. And all I said was, in the, in the, like the ceremony, I don't know, I just, let us breathe. <laughs> and, and so we just took a second to like, to breathe in and breathe out and, and to realize that for probably nine months, everybody had been walking around having taken in a deep breath, but never having ex exhaled it. <laughs> and so it was this great release of all that pent upness. Um, in the room. And I, I think that when I think about how God enters our world, it feels up until this point like all we ever do any day is inhale. So if I were to tell you today, right now, like to take in a deep breath, let's do that together. Like, I did not tell you to exhale. And now with the full deep breath, Let's take in another deep breath. <laughs> right? Like, and there's a possibility. Yeah, you can exhale. Like, stop. Thank <laughs> you. Um, but there's a possibility. Like, there's a little bit of room, right? Like, you take in the deep breath, and then there's a little bit of extra room to take in maybe a little bit more. But then at some point in time, like, it just feels like we're trying to inhale more air into already filled lungs. And it's like we just need to do, right? I often feel most of my life um, is lived in these like small bits of inhaling uh, without ever exhaling until my lungs are so full. Until my lungs are so full, I can't take anything else in, but I haven't quite figured out how to let it all out yet. I read the news. And, and while, while I read it, I, I'm not breathing. I'm, well, I'm breathing it in, right? I'm breathing it in, but have you ever noticed your body tense up and you're not breathing out, ever? And we, we don't even necessarily know how to find the way to exhale it. We're not even, we get so used to holding our bodies tight. And I think that Mary begins today to help us answer that, that search, that query, of how do we exhale it. In Mary's song, sometimes we call it the Magnificat. It is often entitled as a song of praise, but I really think for today, it, it feels right to call it a song, a song of peace. And it's a really interesting thing that, that I've discovered anew as I've read this passage, that Mary's prayer, Mary's song, is prayed and sung for both peace in her own life and peace for the entire world. There's actually a point in the middle of this prayer that you all know really well, middle of this song, where she moves from the first person, this personal prayer, to this more general, ever-reaching prayer for the cosmos. And she's giving God thanks for this intimate, Thing that is happening in her own life. She finds out she's pregnant and she runs to her cousin's house and she's there with Elizabeth, bags packed, and she's inspired to sing this song of the moment. 
that's kind of a, a thankfulness to God and also this lullaby for this baby within her. It's a really personal moment. And she's thanking God for this place that her calling has brought her to right now. And yet in the midst of this very intimate and personal thing, she's also giving thanks more broadly for the fact that God is answering this prophetic echo throughout time and space that we know through Advent and intervening in, in the world to turn things back right again so that things are okay, so that things feel content. Let's be reminded of what she says. So she begins her prayer. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit, my individual spirit rejoices in my Savior. For he has looked on favor of, for my life. Surely all generations are going to call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. It's incredible and it's personal. And then there's this hard pivot. His mercy is for all those who fear him. From generation to generation, he's shown the strength of his arm across time and space. He's scattered the proud, all of the proud. He's brought down the powerful, all of the powerful from their thrones. He's lifted up all of the lowly, not just me. He's filled the hungry with good things, all the hungry, and has sent the rich this whole collection of rich people away to deal with their pride and their emptiness. He's helped his servant Israel remember the entire story of this God. And you hear this prayer, and that's both personal and cosmic. And what she's beginning to name is something that is foundational for the Jewish people. She's beginning to name and recognize that idea of shalom. That, that God didn't create the world just to look a particular way, but to function together, to work together in a particular way. The old rabbis would call this shalom, which is a, a word we translate as peace, which means more like harmony or, or, or flourishing. Things are working together as they should. When God created the world, God created it like a well-oiled machine. Everything functioning for the benefit of the other together. One of the things we notice in this story of creation is that eventually we thought that we could order things on our own. And so this machine starts clicking and clacking and all of its gears start not functioning with one another anymore. And so God's mission throughout all of scripture is to restore this mechanism, this, this machine, into so that it's not clicking and clacking anymore, but it's working, it's well-oiled. It's working as it was intended all along. To restore peace to creation, the creation that God has crafted from the very beginning. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus was God's epic final mission to restore to get rid of the clicking and clacking of creation, to restore the shalom. Mary is beginning to name that echo throughout time that has existed from generation to generation, as she says. And the first thing that she does is she names the way that God has invited her personally into this unfolding of God's restoration. 
She takes a deep breath after her hectic journey to Elizabeth's house, and she gives thanks to God for providing some of that peace, some of that harmony for her, that, that God would take a servant as lowly as she is. This reordering work has begun in her own life, but the first thing she does is take notice of how God is doing this work in her life. And it's not until she has truly been able to name in her own life that she is able to name the ways God is reordering her, reordering her life, that she can ever start noticing the way God is reordering the world. Here's the thing. Here, here's what we learn from Mary. If we desire to see peace in the world around us, in the relationships around us, in the people around us, it has to start with us. I have to allow shalom to be restored in my life. I have to stop the clicking and the clacking in my own life. That's, that's just as, as big of a part of this journey as God's work over all of creation. Most of the time, though, when I pray <laughs> to God to intervene, come thou long expected Jesus, come fix all the things that are wrong with our world, all the things, I mean, like, we can name them, right? All the things that are wrong with our world, most of the time I'm not asking God to fix me. I'm good, God. Well, like, why don't you just solve these problems? But if I'm not like Mary, willing to allow God to change me first, what hope do I have to be a part of what God is doing? Mary is able to, to name her personal peace, her place in God's unfolding shalom. So I, I've been asking myself this week, what does it even look like for me to breathe? What does it look like for me to not forget to exhale? I would say that generally, though I aim to be and desire to be, most of the time I don't feel I don't feel like a person who is full of peace. It's not necessarily in my Enneagram number either. <laughs> His is the peacemaker. So y'all should all turn towards, towards Brett. <laughs> Most of the time, I've just been inhaling and inhaling and inhaling. But how do I remember to breathe, <laughs> to exhale? What does it look like for me to even do that? What does it look like for us individually and collectively? So there's this old theologian who wrote from the North Africa in the 5th and 6th century, St. Augustine. And one of his most famous lines in his autobiographical book called Confessions is this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure as, um, as this great hymn of Charles Wesley was written, he had in mind Augustine. 
as he wrote that line, let us find our rest in thee. I think that that line from the poem um, is, is it's, it's interesting that it's from a book called Confessions. That in order to find our rest in God, it requires this, this self, this internal look, this personal examination, this ability, this desire, this willingness to first confess our own clicking and clacking. If I can be confessional for a moment, I don't know about you, but when my heart is restless, when I'm not at peace, honestly, I do not always think to turn to God for it. Y'all may be better at this than I am. More often than not, I turn to cheese. <laughs> Preferably goat cheese and water crackers. And even if I like some kind of pepper jelly that spreads on top, I'm a little bougie. Um, <laughs> uh, and a really good bottle of wine. I don't know, I like I don't know what you do when 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 you are clicking and clacking. I wonder if you turn towards God. Um, when you're troubled and at peace. Generally, if I'm having a bad day, I need to be, I need, need to be, my rough places need to be made smooth. It's just clicking and clacking all over the place. I just, I find solace in sharp cheese and, and <laughs> chips and salsa on the couch, right? Sometimes I turn on Netflix and Hulu. <laughs> They are really great at comforting me when I need to be comforted. Sometimes I turn to shopping. I go to Target for a few things, and it's a horrible day, and next thing I know, I've spent $500 on stuff I don't need. It feels good to eat something unhealthy when I'm clicking and clacking because all of my life is not unhealthy. <laughs> It feels good to numb the restlessness with a bit of wine. It feels really good to make myself feel better about myself and my control over my own life by buying a few things I don't need. More destruction to my body is going to make me feel better about the general destruction in my life. More destruction to my wallet is going to make me feel better about the general destruction in my life. These are coping mechanisms. Y'all all have them. I do it. One of the last places I honestly turn, though, is God. And I, and I, don't, I don't turn to God honestly because I, I've, I've tried it before, often. Tried it before, and it's not easy. And it's not immediate. And goat cheese and Malbec are immediate. <laughs> And I, and I think, unfortunately, the church has taught us just really poorly how, to, how to, to establish peace or how to deal with our clicking and clapping. The church gives us in places of unrest and brokenness. The church has generally done a great disservice to us because they've taught us to think in if-then mindsets. If I have faith, then my life will be perfect. This is a remnant of the prosperity gospel, 
Some of y'all said you've run, away, you've run away from those traditions before. Um, and we drink, we drink deeply from this in America. And this idea that if I have faith, if I believe the right things or I do the right things, then life should be good. Life should be peaceful. But what Boy Meets World teaches us and cartoons tell us is not true. Chris has been watching a lot of Boy Meets World lately. <laughs> but if things, so if things are not going the way they should go, then it must be because of my lack of faith. And so then we, we don't like that, so we cast our minds, that mindset out of our minds, and we replace it with, instead of an if-then, an if-when mindset. If, if, when I finally achieve these things, when I finally get the job that I've wanted, when I finally earn enough money, when I finally get married, or finally get divorced, or finally, finally retire, if, when, if when this happens, I finally do all these things, then life will finally be complete. So we either, we either say if then or if when, but both of these mindsets are, are just all not what Jesus is about. One of the things we see over and over and over again in scripture, in the story of Mary and all over the place, is that even in the midst of our clicking and clacking, even in the midst of our breathlessness, the not being able to exhale in life, the things aren't as they should be-ness of life, we find people in the presence of Jesus experiencing peace. How is that? We think either I have to do something to cover over, to cope with, to make me feel better, or I have to get to that moment when I can finally be the person I've always wanted to be if I just get these things done. But what we see in scripture is that when Jesus is around, even in the midst of the breathlessness, we see people experiencing peace. When Jesus is about to be crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, there is in the Gospel of John this great farewell discourse, this long meal where he kind of lays out for his disciples the core of what they need to know. And you get a sense while reading it that, that he, as he talks, the disciples are getting more and more anxious. You can picture the disciples sipping in the little breaths and never exhaling it, never exhaling it. It's like, it's like they're at a wedding <laughs> and, and, and just breathing in and never breathing out. And Jesus says towards the end of this farewell discourse, listen, I know you're anxious. I know you're anxious. But I want you to know that I'm not going to leave you orphan. I'm not going to leave you alone. My peace, my shalom, my fullness, my completeness, my everything's okayness, I'm going to leave with you. Not pieces the world gives you, not if thens or if wins, but a whole other kind of peace. In the midst of your restlessness, in the midst of your clicking and clacking and breathing in and never breathing out, to breathe deeply from the breath of God. 
And this is when Jesus first talks about the Holy Spirit. Jesus here talking about the Holy Spirit, God's gift to us, so that we may know not just the proximity of God, but the presence of God, that breath that allows us to exhale. It's not just that that we have to remember to breathe. We've got to remember to breathe in the right thing. To breathe in the presence of God, the Spirit of God. Because our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Him. Would you pray with me? Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Long-expected so much that we forget you're not here yet or that you're even coming, or that the story is, is worth interacting with over and over again. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set your people free. But when we hear people, we really just want it to be those people, not me people, not my inside clack, clicking and clacking. God, restore your world but do it without me. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set your people free from our fears and sins, release us. Honestly, God, we fear having to breathe you in because it's not easy and it's not always immediate. And what is not fearful for us is all of our coping mechanism, all the things we turn to to find peace other than you. But today, God, we say we want to find our rest in thee. And so together we breathe in. And then we exhale. Exhaling all of the fears and sins that bind us up, all the ways we don't want to have responsibility, all the ways we've forgotten the long-expected Jesus, so that when we breathe a part of your purpose, your creation, your calling on our lives, we are breathing in you. And every time we breathe that, it's like it's like we have room for you again. It's like we make room. It's Our lungs don't feel like we can't fit any more in, but it's just space. Space over and over and over again. So we ex exhale the junk so that we can breathe you in this Christmas. And we pray together that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
see 